Their charm is non-existent. Years ago, they worked in radio. Today, they don't remember a moment of it. They are the only grown men ever to fail a preschool spelling test. Every time they go for a swim, women and children run for their lives. Alien abductors return them to Earth with the words, we do not understand, tattooed on their foreheads. If they were to give you directions, you'd end up at the closest pub, no matter where you really wanted to go. Their smell precedes them, the way a fart precedes watering eyes. They are the most interesting men in podcasting. Hola, everybody, and welcome to the Mojo Radio Show. Nice to have you in the house. We're still celebrating the arrival of a couple of cartons at Dosiki. Hashtag the most interesting men in podcasting. Uh, things have been very merry here in the Mojo Radio Show control room with Dosiki, some mission corn chips. Tim Tams. I gotta say, aren't really floating the boat with the uh, with the Mexican theme. However, no, we're rolling with it. We're keeping the big fella happy. Do you like the Dosecchi lampshade that I found at a garage sale the other day <laughs> over in the corner there? <laughs> Mate, that's just a light bulb with Dosecchi carton stuck over the top. Oh, oh is that where I that like came it. from? I like it a lot. Hashtag the most interesting men in podcast. That's us. You got to roll. You got to roll with that. You got to. You just got to leverage it. Absolutely. We interrupt this program to bring you a special. <laughs> the Mojo Radio Show. Right. All right, folks, welcome to the show. Uh, another great show in front of us. We're heading overseas from Australia, heading to Canada this time to speak to an entrepreneur from Canada, a young lady who I'm sure will inspire you. And I've got to say, something we didn't expect that we found was this amazing tribe, this, this almost cult following this young lady has created through her business. It really is something. It's a Seth Godin school of how to create a tribe and done just, there's so many lessons in this. A very, very impressive lady. Before we do that, uh, Robbo, welcome to the show. Thank you. Nice to be here as usual. Well, there's no show without me, really. Folks joining us for the first time, what do we do here? We just find interesting people that we think have their mojo working in some some aspect of their world. And it could be around business or personal life or spirituality, community, the planet, whatever it may be. If we think we can steal something from them to put into our own world to help us with our mojo from the bedroom to the boardroom, then we do it. We talk to them and we get their tips, their tools, their opinions. Lay it down so you can pick it up. Uh, before we get into this week's show, uh, I believe some mailbag stuff arrived for us. Have you checked your email this morning, Mulder? Because I received something unsettling and I wondered if you'd gotten it too. The Mojo Mailbag. Talking about picking stuff up, Ali Smith has picked us up, which is no mean feat, really. <laughs> Ali. Ali. Smitty, yeah, Smitty. Smitty. Another, Another Smitty. <laughs> the Smith Yeah, I wonder if they're related. Alanator. Uh, the Alanator. <laughs> Speaking of which, mm. just before we get to the Alanator, mm. did I tell you that I caught up with the McGillinator last week? No. Really? The McGillinator. Story, one of our listeners. Is he behaving himself? Uh, yeah, he is. I was doing a gig in Sydney and the McGillinator walked up and went, mate, I'm the McGillster. And I went, holy oh. shit, you're kidding me. There you go. 
See, it's a small world. Ellie wrote us a beautiful note, though. She's written, great podcast, guys. I only discovered your channel last week, but I've been listening every morning and afternoon in the car to catch up, and it's totally bringing on the mojo. So far, I've loved listening to your interviews with Glenn Capelli, Laura Vandekam, Jason Selk, and Lauren Handel-Zander. Such engaging guests and great topics. Keep up the good work. So there you go, Ali. Thank you for listening. And I'll tell you what, just for those folks who are maybe new to the show like Ali, to go back through our catalogue, Laura Vandekam, absolute cracking show on productivity, performance and time. Glenn Capelli, a master of learning and teaching. Dr. Jason Selk, we have had this, we've had a lot of requests on grit and resilience. In fact, I just got another one last night from a guy who wrote to me and said, can you do more on grit and resilience? I don't think you can do enough. Dr. Jason Selk, was an absolute cracker for that. And really, you talk about grit and resilience and getting after it. Lauren Handel Zander yeah, from New York. Absolutely. There's no dilly dallying with Lauren. It is just <laughs> get after it, get it done, and don't make excuses for that's yourself. Right. Uh, that's a great back catalogue, Ali. Thanks for your note. Makes us, uh, makes us feel good, warms the cockles of our mojo. It does indeed. Gary's Google Mojo. We Now that we have the DOS open yes. and we're rolling, I. I think it's remiss of us. We haven't really done any country for a while. It's been a long time, I've got to say, since you've dragged the chaps out of the cupboard. I'm just going to throw a piece in today. Sam Elliott has got a new movie coming out called The Hero. You may remember Sam Elliott. He's one of my favourite actors. He's currently in a series on Netflix with Ashton Kutcher called The Ranch, which I love. He was Wade Garrett, the famous Wade Garrett in Roadhouse with Patrick Swayze. Yeah. He was in Wider. He just, he's got... The killer, killer voice hmm. of any actor. He's dry, he's sharp, he's a good cowboy. He's got a new movie coming out called The Hero, which has been critically acclaimed. I received a link over the weekend from someone who knew me who thought I would like the clip, and I watched the clip to the movie, and then next to it was on YouTube uh, a piece which called Off Camera, and a guy was interviewing famous movie stars on their roles. He interviewed Sam Elliott. And he asked him about some of the lessons he's picked up over the last number of years in his acting career. Most kids under the contract didn't work. Tom Selleck and I worked more than the others. Tom and I both started there at the same exact time. He was fresh out of SC and I was fresh out of Oregon. Pretty much the same time. And there were two women I met one time that worked in a legal department at Fox in the administration building. Scripts first go to the legal department before they go to casting, before they go to any word, because they read them and they're looking for any kind of legal any issues. And these girls said, we have all these scripts here. You're welcome to come anytime and look at them. Really? And I went and saw these scripts before the casting people saw them. And I would call to the casting people or go down and sit in their office and wait for a minute. And I'd say, there's a script coming, this number so-and-so, and this is the title of it for Judd for the Defense or Felony Squad or whatever it is, and there's a part in there, and I would really love to come read for it. And I got jobs doing You know what? I, I, I got have, jobs doing that. I fully believe that if you dig deep enough into anyone's success story, yeah. there's a little advantage that they found that, that they exploited that yeah. was sort of unique to their story, yeah. and that was yours. It's that work ethic. That's one of the things my dad taught me. Always do more, even if it's just a little more. Always do a little more than it's expected of you. The thing, the thing that's good about this show is that it's usable, practical stuff 
you can put into your day. Mm. And out of the gates this morning, I'd say, if you're in the car like Ali or you are on your bike like the Pat McGillinator or you are sitting in the library with your headphones on listening to this show, think about the rest of the day and whatever you plan to do, how could you bring this a little bit more? And that's the difference for me. And I think that leads into grit, resilience. I think it's stuff that Lauren handles, Xander. I love that notion is if you're going to do A, how do you do A plus one? If you're going to play with the kids and do X, how do you do X plus one? And that's, I guess, you know, that's, that's, that's the basis of our show, isn't it, mate? That's the trick. Absolutely. That's what we try to get to every week, isn't it? The Mojo Radio Show. This is going to be another big one. This will be another one to add to Ali's list. Let's call them Alley Cats. Alley Cats. <laughs> <laughs> new segment, AP. There's a new segment, mate. Could you, could you do a voiceover for that for us, AP? The Mojo Radio Show. Oh, he's on it. He's on it today. He's on it. You can hear the red wine timber in his voice already. <laughs> That's red wine. Um, now, this, this, our guest today is a friend of a friend of yours. Yeah, Lauren Ruddick suggested we get in touch with Lee, wasn't it? And it took us a while, but we found her. We love our Lauren. Mm. And when we hear a guest suggest another guest, we're all over it because nothing is better than getting a recommendation from somebody. Now, let me set this up for you, folks. Lee Emmett is the founder of Inner Fire. It's an eco-friendly yoga clothing company out of Vancouver in BC, Canada. And I think what I love about this is the photography of what Lee is doing, how she began, the dreams she had, how she's done it step by step. In the first number of years, she did everything, everything, everything herself on her lounge room table, all the screening, all the buying, all the selling, all the merchandising, all the promotion. And she has created this amazing tribe called the Luminaries, which I got to say is marketing 2.0, Seth, hashtag Seth Godin. It's gold. It really is gold. This is a terrific show, lovely lady. And I highly suggest when you finish the show, just check out her website to see what she's doing and how she's doing it, because there are some valuable lessons. I don't care if you work for yourself as a digital nomad or you're running a brand like Tim, hello, my friends at Tim Tams, uh, running a brand like Tim Tams, there are valuable lessons in what Lee has to offer. And we are absolutely stoked to have you here all the way from Vancouver in Canada. Lee Emmett, welcome to the Mojo Radio Show. Yeah, thanks for having me. Now, we have found you somewhere in Canada. Where is your base in Canada? We're from Vancouver, the West Coast. Nice part of the world. If people meet you and say, what do you do? How do you reply? I would call myself... Um, a designer, um, an eco entrepreneur, and a little bit of a yoga hippie. <laughs> <laughs> You're teaching yoga, aren't you? I do teach yoga. Yes. So the the genesis of the business. Take us back to the start. How did Inner Fire the business start? Like what 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 was the what was the story that went with that? Sure. So I I started Inner Fire about five years ago. Um, I'm based in Vancouver, Canada, and we're on the West Coast, uh, where yoga is a big part of our lives. And I, um, I became a yoga teacher um, after studying. I was in school for marketing, um, graduated with a degree in business, and went on and did some corporate gigs, uh, mainly in the sustainability and green space. Um, and then I fell in love with yoga and decided to become a yoga teacher. Taught yoga for a few years full time. And then uh, one day I was um, closing up a yoga studio and uh, I had these 
intense abdominal pains. And what ended up happening was I got rushed to the hospital and they found that I had a large ovarian cyst. And the ovarian cyst was about 15 centimeters wide, about the size of a grapefruit. Yeah, yeah. And thank goodness for Canadian healthcare. Uh, didn't have to pay a cent for the surgery, but uh, it got removed and I was immediately um, just sort of put on a month rest, and which was really rare for me. I had always been really active my whole life. And um, so I was in bed rest and just trying to just keep myself busy. And so I started to get quite creative and started uh, designing some um, shirt designs. I started sewing. I started, oh, after I was able to get back up, I, was, I learned how to screen print. And I felt a flood of creativity starting to come in. And um, after I had started to give some away to some friends, it was actually close to Christmas time. So I made quite a few gifts for my friends um, and I just kind of put some stuff out there. Um, I started getting some feedback and people were asking about it and they wanted more. And and a couple of friends who had owned yoga studios asked me if I could put some up in their shops. Um, And after a while, I realized I had to call it something um, that I was actually kind of building a small little brand. And I was thinking back to the experience I had that started everything. And it was this, uh, this ovarian cyst, uh, which is basically a benign tumor. It's a big mass that's, that was sitting inside of me. And as soon as that mass got removed, I felt like it was replaced by a fire and that I was really tr- like starting to get creative. And looking back at what I had learned in my yoga teacher training, I learned about this idea of a fire. It's actually quite common um, for uh, the yoga philosophy to refer to this as the area of your belly, as the area where your um, third chakra resides, where your creativity resides, where you have this fire that they call Agni. And so I thought it's a little bit, you know, out there, but that was actually my inner fire actually becoming um, ignited and that, that spark is what started everything. So that's why I called it inner fire. I'm curious about that. Do you think that because you can visualize that and you can emotionally feel that, do you think that actually has an impact on how you see creativity and having some bravery to explore your own creative mind? Yeah, absolutely. I actually believe that creativity is something that sort of comes from outside of you and that we actually are the lightning rods for it. Um, so it's sort of like, Creativity is always floating around us. I don't know if you can think of it as like little clouds or something. And, mm. um, and it's up to us to basically embody what that or let, let that creativity come into us um, and recognize it and actually meet it half, halfway. So that creativity is there and we can uh, decide whether or not we want to actually act on it. So I know it's a little crazy, but I think uh, I've, I've heard it from other people who are also working in creative fields and they've um, sort of felt like the, when they really feel charged up, they're not really the ones driving it. They're sort of just intuitively following through with what the calling is. And I felt like that was kind of what happened to me. And I, I didn't really have this intention to go into clothing or fashion. It was not my experience at all. I had zero experience in clothing. Um, I did have experience in fashion or sorry, in print design, but, um, I had never dealt in textiles before. So it was, uh, it was all new to me, but I, I felt compelled to 
continue doing it. So I feel like it does kind of come through to you and you have to decide whether or not you're going to take on the challenge. No, it just seems to me that with what you're saying, I think it's really quite profound because I think it clears the way if you have this feeling that you need to be true to what's inside you, then you need to let it come out and then you find the means by which it comes. But to to be able to visualise this thing that the sister was replaced by this inner fire, I just think there's something quite profound for people to take away to say that you've got this thing in you, whatever it may look like. Are you expressing it? I guess from that, why... Why did textiles and clothing become that lightning rod for you and not graphic design of print ads or blogging? Well, I think for me it was because I started actually with slogans. So um, my first slogan that I came out with says, uh, said, I'm just here for the Shavasana, which if you know yoga, Shavasana is the last uh, the last pose you do in a yoga class. And it's sort of like a funny pun because it's so basically saying that you're the, just there to do the rest part <laughs> for the for the ending, but also it, it, <laughs> it, it conveys a wisdom that you can that that the rest is actually the most important part of the class. It's not about how bendy you can be or how how much you know physical strength you have. So for me, it was a way to express my own personality and the way I relate to yoga as a practice of self discovery and as a practice of self acceptance. Um, and I think that in the industry at the time, yoga was very much about looking good. It was kind of about um, being as bendy as you can be and trying to impress in a way. Like I remember showing up to my first few yoga classes feeling really out of place because I wasn't wearing the right clothing. And, And when I started to notice that insecurity in some of my students, I realized that just saying the message right out right out there saying, it's okay, I'm just here to rest. I'm, a, I'm not here to impress anyone. Um, really kind of gave people permission to embrace the practice as, as something that's their own. And I, when I saw their, the way they would react to me when I was wearing that shirt as I was teaching the class, they would be like, oh yeah, no, this is cool. Like we're, we're not trying to all be the same. We're not trying to all be perfect. Um, so I started seeing people react to it in that way. And it just kind of started growing from there. Um, and then pretty soon after that, I realized like I had a clothing company. And once I realized that the, um, that I was able to convey those messages through my, through the slogans, then I also was looking at other ways I could get, um, put my values and embody myself in a brand, which was the next step, which was um, developing a line of leggings that were made from recycled water bottles, which is sort of the second chapter of my brand. What was the moment, Leah, when you knew you had this business? You just said that before you knew it, suddenly you had a brand and it was starting to work. What was, was there a defining moment where you one day just stopped and went, actually, this this is a something? Yeah, I think it was, um, the first time I I saw it on a rack somewhere, um, in in a an actual you know store, I think it was. I mean, I had sold online as well, um, but once I first started selling wholesale and started to introduce it to yoga studios and stores in Canada, we most of our yoga studios have uh, a retail section. I was I realized it was yeah it's it's it's. Like, you know, I remember putting a tag on something and thinking, oh, my gosh, this looks really pro. Um, but it was also <laughs> the, at the point when I 
I realized I had to make some decisions and take some big leaps and make some big investments, take those risks um, and quit my, my job. I mean, I was still teaching yoga, uh, but mm. you know, I, t- I taught full time and was doing some odd jobs on the side. And, and when the business was, you know, asking me for its, for my full attention, then I realized, okay, I have to, I have to feed this baby or it's going to starve. Did you have any fear starting out, Leah? Like was, was there any fear in your mind as you started this journey from recovery from your um, you know, the cyst to that point where it was on the shelf and then, you know, even to today. I mean, what fears have you carried, if any? Well, for me, I've always been quite uh, conservative when it comes to risk. And I, I know that there were definitely some defining moments when I had to take the plunge. I wouldn't necessarily call it fear because I I really did felt, feel driven to, to do this. It didn't feel like I was uh, doing it for some other reason, like, like trying to make money or trying to be famous or anything like that. I think the scariest part was really just believing in myself. And I would, I would see a lot of, um, people doing, doing great things as well. Like I, I started to become a, a part of a community of other creatives and other entrepreneurs. And I think that's what really helped me get past those moments of fear because I would see other people also taking big risks and, um, and, and doing what they love and seeing them, uh, really live their passion inspired me to keep going forward. And of course there were those moments where I'm like, I'm, I had to move home actually to start the business. Um, I had to sell my vehicle. I had to, um, yeah, basically live very, very frugally. And because I bootstrapped the entire business from the beginning, I never asked for any outside financing. Um, and of course the time sacrifice was huge. I don't think I slept for the first three years. <laughs> so I think that's all something that, you know, it, it comes with being an entrepreneur, but also it is such a rewarding thing to see your, your own, you know, like thoughts and ideas come out and become reality. So I wouldn't trade it for anything. One thing that I've really very, very fascinated in with what you've done, Leah, and I think it's extraordinary, is your luminaries. Now, let me set this up for our listeners. We were introduced to Leah by Lauren Ruddick, who said, you have to speak to Leah. She's amazing. We went, great, hook us up, which she did, and thankfully you're here. When I looked at your website, looked at what you did and how you did it, what was very evident was this amazing community you've built called the Luminaries, of which one Lauren, Lauren Ruddick is one of them. Tell me, tell me what a luminary is. Where did the idea come from for it, and how important is that for your business? Because it's it's quite an extraordinary thing. Because people, marketing experts like Seth Godin, talk about tribes. I love the luminaries and I, I just would like to know what it's all about. Yeah. So our luminary program is a brand ambassador program and they live our brand values. So our brand values being um, loving our planet and being stewards our, of our environment, um, giving back to their own local communities and also enjoying um, a, the practice of yoga and um, and basically living through the philosophies that that we learn in, um, in 
our yoga teachings. Um, and, and that's basically the idea that we are one people, that we are actually not as different as we think we are, that we all have a common thread and that we, um, you know, our time on this planet is, is precious and that we should, um, do as much as we can to do good in the world, you know, just a bunch of tree huggers, basically. <laughs> um, and the luminous, that's, yeah, I'm a little bit of a West Coast hippie. I like to spend time outside um, and also with people. But I think the, the thing with the luminaries that um, I I sought out to do at the beginning was to just start to uh, connect with people who understood uh, why we were doing what we were doing. And and it's it's way beyond just trying to make a buck or trying to... Um, get as many people to buy pants or shirts as possible. It was for a higher purpose. It was for, um, giving back. It was for, um, recognizing the value in local community as well as local production. So everything that we make is made within a 50 kilometer radius. Um, and we even do all of our own printing in house and, um, and so for me, it was very important to build a community around my brand that embodied these values and that, and to really give these people a platform in order to show what they're doing. For me, I didn't want, I don't want to build a brand ambassador program that was basically a bunch of people wearing my stuff and talking about my brand. I wanted to build a brand ambassador program where I would have a, a group of people that are all doing amazing stuff and that I could put them on a, a platform and say, Hey, look at this person, look at what they're doing in their community isn't that inspiring? And, um, and then it kind of quickly grew from like five people to 15 people to 20 people. And now we have 120 people. And, um, it's been amazing to see how, uh, they've been able to connect with each other as well. So, um, there's these really amazing relationships that are starting to build. And the cool thing from a business perspective is that, you can see them actually owing it back to the brand for making that yeah. connection. And if you become the connector, then they're always going to feel kind of indebted to you, right? Like, oh, well, Inner Fire introduced me to this amazing person, and now we're doing great work together. Um, and we always try and curate uh, luminaries that are doing really cool stuff. Like they are, in the in the sense of the word, they are actually like lighting up um, the the lives of other people around them. And uh, yeah, so I think that's what's really been the the most rewarding thing about the program. Leah, this is such, such a cool thing. I just want to camp here for a second because we've never really done a segment on this in the four years of the show so far. Mm-hmm. Seth Godin did a very successful book and was the master of talking about building a tribe. Mm-hmm. And he said the success of any tribe is where the brand speaks to the customer. The customer speaks to the brand, which is traditional. But a true tribe is when the customers speak to each other. So you become the conduit. So you essentially lose control of your brand in a way because the customers are part of your tribe as luminaries, but the luminaries are talking between themselves to the betterment of inner fire. What I find, I mean, I find that incredible. I think what you're doing is just masterful. And I also like the idea that right now, you are not accepting any more luminaries according to your website as of today. Yeah. And I looked at what I had to do because Robbo and I would like to become luminaries. I think it's fair to say robo has been <laughs> oh, very cool. patient. He's sitting here in the lotus position in a pair of brown tracky decks. 
uh, which is his, his, which he's, a, he's a full of figured sound engineer. So that is his yoga kit. Um, so before we finish, we do want to know what we need to do to become luminaries. The reason why we actually stopped accepting applications is because we. Gary and I applied. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> we actually do need more guys. So, hey, you guys have better odds. But I think. Um, I think it was also we we realized we'd built this community and then we also realized that we had to manage them somehow. <laughs> and um, and it's a lot of people and we and we want to make sure that the experience is is going to be fulfilling because, of course, like, I don't know, this day and age right now, influencer marketing is quite a buzz. You know, people yeah. are really interested in influencers. Um, and of course, it there is kind of no good way to figure out whether or not an influencer is just in there for the money or if they're actually going to want to, you know, promote your brand for, um, an ongoing period and for, you know, the long term. So for us, we wanted to make sure that we could properly manage it. So we kind of hit pause on, on accepting applications so that our existing luminaries could be better served and that we could do an audit on our, our program and figure out where we can improve and, uh, and also dedicate a little bit more time and energy towards supporting our individuals and also allowing them to be, um, to give their input on the program. So I think that's, it's almost like we're at like phase 2.0 now. Yeah. Well, it's interesting because you ask specific questions for someone to essentially bid or pitch to be a luminary, but then in return, they do get samples of product and they do get special offers of product and you give a lot back. I love it, Leah. I think it's super clever. And I know businesses that have tried to do stuff like this and flopped poorly. But I like the idea that you've got a person like Lauren there who's at the top of their game going, you know what? I want to be an eco warrior. I love the kid. I love Leah's backstory. I want to be a part of it. In return, I'm going to get some cool kit of whatever sort. And if I want to buy some kit, I get special offers. And it just, it's the first time I've probably seen a tribal thing built based on a purpose, based on the the people you're surrounding yourself with are like-minded opinion leaders at the top of their game, but I get something from it in return for me doing the right thing. It's, it's kind of a, it's a proper win-win, isn't it? Yeah. I think the most important thing is to fully communicate what your purpose and your vision is as a brand. Um, because I think a lot of brands don't even take the time to sit down and figure out what those core values are and what, you know, why are you in business? Um, you know, you can, you can definitely accumulate a bunch of people who can call themselves influencers and maybe they have large followings online, but if they're not actually, uh, you know, aware of why you're in business, then how on earth can yeah. they be ambassadors for you? You know, how can they be yeah. the ones that are on the, on, on the ground talking to people about it? Um, I mean, I kind of almost think of them as an extended, uh, sales team in a way, not that they're actually like directly selling, but they are for sure in a way, um, representing the brand more than I would be oh, able yeah. to. Right. So my word. So I think it's very, very important to be that clear about it. Uh, because once, once that purpose and vision, uh, are understood, then everyone's together on the same on the same page and then everyone is mobilized to do good. I mean, of course for us, our, our, like I said before, you know, we're in business to do good. We're not in business to like, you know, make a, 
a bunch of money. So, um, but by doing good, your business ends up being successful, which is a really nice byproduct of it. So, um, and for us, I think also we try and recognize the contribution that people are doing offline, because I think right now there is such a focus on numbers of followers, show me your metrics, you know, what's your engagement rate. And I think it's a little bit short-sighted because people forget that it's word of mouth marketing. That's actually the most important marketing. It's, it's like when, when a yoga teacher is at the front of a class, they're influencing those, those 30 people or however many people they're teaching in a way that you don't get if you see someone you admire on Instagram, for example. So for us, we're also trying to bring our luminary group together in a physical space. And that's sort of our next chapter is hopefully organizing some sort of summit or retreat where they can all come together. Um, And I've seen that done really well by a company that is in my space and I'm not afraid to name them, but Lululemon, they do such a great uh, job at doing that as well. And I definitely follow in their footsteps and owe a lot to them, even though they're technically competitors, um, but not really, you know, it's all different anyways. But I think I've seen Fantastic business there. Yeah. Yeah. And they've done such a great job of, of mm. entering into local communities and championing people who are, are maybe not, you know, your biggest celebrities um, by any stretch, but they're also really supporting people who are doing cool stuff. So I think that's something that we want to do as well. And in, in a slightly different way with a little bit more of a philanthropic and eco angle, but I think it's all sort of the same strategy. Yeah, I think it's fair to say the team at Lulu, big fans of the Mojo radio show, we're always getting stuff from them, always sending us emails and uh, hello to all our friends. Yeah, yeah, I mean, they're from the same hood. It's really, I mean, we're both Vancouver-based companies, so... Oh, it's, right. Uh, literally, yeah, right in the same neighbourhoods. You said that... When you had the cyst and you were recovering, you had time to sit and think about your life, which was the beginning of the inner fire journey. Do you have a creative ritual or routine you go through? Um, Obviously, you are creating prints. You're thinking about the business. Is there a, a ritual or a routine you have on a daily, weekly or monthly basis that allows you to step away from everything and just think about your purpose and the business? I meditate every day. And I think that's been a very big component of Mm. my sanity, as well as just, uh, you know, finding clarity. And I owe that to learning about meditation when I was a a yoga teacher. And I I had the time to to practice a lot of yoga as well. Now, now time is the the most uh, scarce resource that I have. So for me, even five minutes a day is enough and to take small little breaks. And, and I encourage that for my staff as well um, to, to have that mental health break. And I think it's super important. Um, also because we, we tend to just reach for our phones. Like first thing in the morning, with, you know, it's, it happens. We sleep near our phones and all of a sudden we're in our Facebook feeds. And so just pausing from that and having a ritual um, that's, I mean, I started doing some daily journaling as well, which I I will admit I'm not really good at. <laughs> I'm like, what do I write about? I'm not sure. Um, but but that like, do I talk about my dreams? I'm not sure. Uh, but I I definitely think that meditative break um, and and also I try and find points of meditation that are not your typical seated meditation. So I try and do meditation and breathing exercises while I'm driving. 
while I'm traveling. Um, I do a lot of travel now these days. And I think a lot of my inspiration also comes from travel. So I, I always, um, I take a lot of photos and I try to, um, I try to engage with as many different people and cultures as I can in order to kind of get a sense of what they're thinking and feeling. And that usually translates to my, um, to my prints that I design as well. So yeah, I, I think it's difficult, especially as a busy entrepreneur to find that time, that, that pause, but it's, it's like a mental reset and it allows me to get back to my focus. Right. Cause I think right now the world is constantly trying to distract us. So it's, and it's, oh, no it's simple. It's just, just breathing. That's all it is. Breathing and not thinking, which is, it seems really easy, but it's not. Hey, Gaz, it sounds like Leah needs a, um, a mojo journal. Well, I'm just getting to that, mate. <laughs> oh, what's that? Do tell. No, it's, 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 it, how, how do you – let's just camp there for a second. It's funny that um, we've had several themes run through the show for the four, almost five years we've been doing it now, Leah, and resilience and grit is certainly one. Having a purpose and being of service to others is definitely one. But journaling, meditation actually is probably one of the most prevalent thing for people who are achieving great things in any part of their life. And the other thing we find a lot is journaling. And so we produced a journal last year through Kickstarter called the Mojo Journal, which is a combination between a traditional journal and a book. So it has 20 short stories or short paragraphs through it that provoke thinking. So it's, it's, it's its own unique thing. I'm just curious about your journaling habits. It sounds like it's at this point sporadic, but when you do it's, journal, yeah. do you doodle, do drawings? Do you keep bits of fabric or designs or photos from India of sort of how colours go together? Is it all words? Like what is your journaling habit when you are in, in the mood? Um, it's definitely it's all words. Um, I do, I mean, actually I do a little bit of sketching as well, but, uh, I tend to design better on the computer to be honest. Um, but I, yeah, it's, it's kind of a combination of like goals and then, but I find I get myself into these like to-do lists, which is not, is not what journaling is really supposed to be. (laughs) Um, but I honestly am very open to like, to, to uh, exploring this idea of this mojo journal because, I mean, I'm constantly learning um, about new techniques and ways to improve my um, my efficiency and ways that I can let my creativity out there. Um, I do a gratitude journal uh, primarily yeah. is is kind of what I, I tend to gratitude I tend to gravitate towards and um, and it's just little little reminders because I think often in business there are some pretty big upsets that happen. And I've had my fair share of really devastating moments, um, (laughs) losing, you know, lots of money in one day, you know, like things that I didn't realize could even happen. Um, Sounds like me at the racetrack, Lear. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, right. Or the pub. Yeah. And now now there's a racetrack in the pub, it's even worse. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So I think, um, Gratitude journaling is is a big part of that, but I'm curious to learn what the Mojo Journal also prompts you to do. Well, we'll uh, we'll pop one in the mail to you, so uh, that's our cool. commitment to you. As long as we can become luminary, <laughs> <laughs> it's bribery now. <laughs> it's, a, it's a double-edged well, you know, sword. You gotta have a strong yoga practice and maybe some Instagram uh, followers. 
Uh, okay. Ba-bom, ba-bom. Yeah. Uh, Gone. Else? <laughs> Forget it. <laughs> we can spell yoga. Yeah, that's right. There's no uh, shame in being a beginner. So I hope you do start to practicing because it's great. <laughs> there are some things you can't unsee, Leah. That's right. Well, I was <laughs> actually talking. Well, I'm glad this is a podcast because then uh, I don't have to see you. <laughs> we were actually talking to Lauren just recently and I um, I, I came across a, um, a new style of yoga. It's um, to do with drinking. So you actually, you actually beer yoga. Beer yoga. That's the one. I, the name yes. eluded me. Yes, I'm very interested yes. in that one. <laughs> yeah, I've never done it myself, but um, you know what? Whatever your path is, I don't care. I mean, I find yoga can be anything from just uh, sitting or drinking beer. I don't know. Mm. I mean, it's it is whatever you want it to be, right? Mm. So absolutely, yeah. Yeah, there are some yoga purists out there, but I feel like if it's something that allows you to find peace and oneness, I'm all for it. This has been a pretty incredible journey for you for five years now since the Inner Fire project started. When you, and we find there are a lot of people listening to the show and we get notes from them or I meet them on the out in the circuit and people will often say that they've got this idea in their mind, they've got this side hustle in mind that they like to have a crack at. Looking back in your five years, what's the what's the most prevalent lesson that you've taken from it that you would pass on to somebody else? So in hindsight, five years, the good, the bad and the ugly, what's the greatest lesson you'd pass on to somebody who has that inner fire in their belly? Mm-hmm. Well, I think authenticity is probably the most important thing, uh, know why you're doing what you're doing. Uh, because there are so many people out there who are, are going to try and do something, but if their heart's not in it, you can really tell. And I think consumers these days are very savvy and there's so many, like, and even just e-commerce, for example, when I started, it was quite difficult to start up an online store. These days, anyone can have an e-commerce store and you have a bunch of people who are drop shippers or they'll, you know, they just don't care what they're selling. They just want to sell stuff. Um, and so being able to be authentic and tell your story, I think is the most important part. And, you know, and then with that comes the, the visual aspect, um, just really investing in good visuals in, in, uh, good photography, good, uh, web design, all that, I think, because it takes, you know, three seconds or less for someone to have a first impression about you, about your brand. And and actually I heard, I was listening to a couple of your other podcasts and I think this was said and, and by previous guests, but I think it is very important that you, if, if you want to convey yourself or portray your brand in a professional way, you have to have professional imagery. Um, And then, and then like once, once all that stuff is in place, then persistence just, just putting your head down and, and doing it every day and dedicating yourself to what you're doing. Um, cause it's, it's like, I, I can't remember that saying, but it's something about like three feet away from gold. Like you, you don't know how far, how much further you just have to push to just get to that next phase and, um, allowing yourself to just dedicate your time and energy towards something that you and being okay with it if if it doesn't work out because it's always going to be a learning experience. But I think regret is the most uh, you know 
the most unwanted thing in our lives. We don't ever want to look back on and on our lives and regret anything. Do you carry any regrets at all? I don't. No, I think everything happens for a reason and there's always lessons. And I've, mm. I've learned from my biggest failures. Um, but I mean, I guess the only regret I might have is that I wish I'd taken a year off to travel before I started my business <laughs> just <laughs> to go see the world because life was so much easier back then. <laughs> uh, now, you know, I have responsibilities, I have staff, I have, um, you know, this ongoing thing that it's hard to press pause on, but, uh, that's the only one I would say. What would you do differently? You've been five years in it. It's been a great success. We'll talk about the festivals you're visiting in a second. You're building this amazing tribe, which I'm very, I, I admire a lot. If you did do something different now in the last five years, not as a regret, but just a lesson learned that you would approach differently, is there anything you would do differently? I would probably let go sooner. So as a solo entrepreneur, it's super easy to to feel like you're the only one that can do things. And, uh, and that was, that was my mentality for a long time was that I held off on, on getting other people on board to build the brand because I was, I guess, you know, there is that fear of like, well, if I have someone else here, I have to pay them. And and now they're relying on me for food on the table, you know, all of these, these pressures. Um, but as soon as I started to fully let go and delegate out, um, things to competent people, then I really started to see the company change. And I started to notice my own internal tribe growing and my own inner fire family of staff um, starting to blossom. And it was really cool to see people come um, from all different areas and backgrounds and, and people who were very qualified apply for the first couple of jobs that I had posted. Cause I was, I was actually kind of shocked. There were people who had, you know, jobs that were paying way more than what I was able to pay. And they would still want to come over and work for me because they were, you know, tired of a uh, toxic corporate culture or whatever it was. So, um, I realized like what I had to offer was actually some flexibility in, in, um, you know, how someone would be able to do their job. And I was just willing to hand over the reins once I found these people that were, that were, you know, going to be a players. So I think that I wish I kind of had done that sooner because I, I probably wouldn't have suffered as much on <laughs> trying to do everything myself for so long. I would say the first mm-hmm. three years, I pretty much did everything myself, all the web design, all the marketing, all the writing, all the actual product development, everything. So, and you um, made the product, too, even, didn't you? You actually did the, you did the screening, like you mixed yeah, it up, yeah. pulled the yeah, thing across the tray, and you made them. Yeah, I did that first video um, in 2013, and I was, yeah, I was definitely the one that did all the screen printing. I remember I, I, I thought that I would be the only person that could um, center the designs properly. <laughs> like, you know, just, you kind of feel like you're the only one. But it, because it is your baby, and I, I do understand it's it's really hard to let go and and trust other people. But once you trust people, you feel so good about empowering them. And I think that's what really makes a leader a good leader is that they understand that someone is out there wanting to to be the best they can. And if you give them the tools and the encouragement and the trust, 
then they're going to fly. And it's, that's really been a cool thing to see in my business too. Lauren mentioned, and I think I saw it somewhere in your publicity that you are now doing some of the big festivals and going out and taking a, a stall at um, is the festivals like Wonderlust and stuff like that? They're in Australia too, actually. We were we were there for two years. Uh, actually, we're starting to expand in Australia, which is pretty exciting. Huh. When you're doing markets like that, so the big festivals or you've done probably smaller markets, I suspect, in the early days, what's your default go-to, Leah, when somebody walks up and basically screws their nose up or said something that isn't very positive or nice? What's your default when people don't accept or appreciate the hard work or designs that you've put out into the world? How do you handle rejection? Um, well, I'll say to start that not a lot of people will come up to me face to face and <laughs> and criticize me. <laughs> that doesn't happen very much. Um, actually, I don't think I've really ever had anybody walk up mm. to me. They probably wouldn't even come in <laughs> if they were if they had something critical to say. Um, but that being said, I have, you know, had some feedback online and of course things go wrong sometimes. It's, it's just the fact of life with, with business, um, that, you know, orders don't get shipped properly or there's threads that come apart or something isn't QC'd properly. Um, and I think that that is a great opportunity to show how much the brand cares. And, and a lot of people think that like bad reviews are bad, but bad reviews are an opportunity to learn as well as to serve that customer even better. So I remember there was another podcast that you didn't where he said like, there's two words that are super important and it's just, I'm sorry. And, um, that little apology is, is very, it's because I don't know if people really think of brands as being as as being just a group of people <laughs> you know we're like we're just all strangers that are interacting with each other and and really it is just like oh really I, i'm sorry i didn't mean to send you the wrong thing or i didn't mean to offend you or you know i had i had some people who were offended by the the use of the word gypsy i called i called one of my collections the gypsy soul collection and they were like well, you know that, you know, the use of the word gypsy is actually quite derogatory. And I was like, whoa, no, I, I totally had no idea. I didn't really intend it to be that way. And and so it just kind of was a, a, an opportunity to have that conversation. And I think it's good. I think it's a good thing when they, when you have, you know, whenever you look up an Amazon review, if it's all five stars, you get a little bit suspicious. But if you see like a couple of two, three stars, and you're like, oh, okay, well, maybe these are real people that make mistakes. Yeah. And when when you have that opportunity to talk to somebody, I think that is actually something that allows people to broaden their horizons too, um, and gives them a you know an opportunity to be heard, and gives the, the brand an opportunity to like adapt. So I think you know criticism is good. I'm I'm all for it. I mean, of course, it has to be done politely, <laughs> but um, I've been quite lucky. I haven't had anyone come up shouting in, at my face. <laughs> What's the dream now for you? Five years in, you've now got momentum. Things seem to be going great. You've got a beautiful range. And I must say, for anybody listening who is liking what Leah's talking about, and I'm sure they are, go to your website because everything you've talked about is exemplified with beautiful graphics, great purpose. The luminaries, how you've done it is terrific. The backstory is great. Your video, it's just, it really does sing 
high quality and purpose and true authenticity. Thank you. With that being with that being said, Leo, what's it look like in the future? Project forward five or ten years, knowing you couldn't fail and you were going to make your imprint. What's the dream now for you? Yeah, that's a pretty good question. It's really hard to answer because I, if you were to ask me five years ago what I'd be doing today, five years out, I would not ever predict that this would be the reality that I'm living. But I also think that visioning is is really important. And that's actually something that I'm trying to do more on a regular basis is to actually write out like a three-year vision, a five-year vision. For me, I think I want to expand my community. I want to take what I've done here in North America to other places like Australia and Europe and Asia and South America as well and and build a global community. Um, I also don't want to expand beyond my means. And I, and I, and actually one of my best teachers says that growth for growth's sake is the anatomy of a cancer cell. Mm. And it's, it's true. Like, I, I don't think that I want to just expand just for the sake of being big. So I think it's all about, um, understanding the, the core purpose. And I would love to see us partner with different organizations. We have partnered with quite a few already in lots of different spheres in the environmental as well as the educational spheres um, to make an impact and to do some really cool work together. Um, I think that those partnerships are quite integral and key in in keeping us relevant. Of course, with, with um, fashion it moves quickly and who knows, I, what I do right now might not be in style in five to 10 years, which probably won't be. <laughs> um, but, uh, so being able to adapt as well and to, um, to allow ourselves to become that next phase. I mean, I would love to see us be the premier eco yoga apparel line, um, in the world. That's the pretty big goal. Uh, but also to remove, thousands of water bottles out from our, our waste stream. Cause you know, with every pair of leggings that we make, we take away seven, seven water bottles and, uh, that's a huge impact. So I think seeing that, um, the, you know, the industry go towards that and maybe set an example for other brands to do the same, I think is like a, a really, uh, amazing legacy that we could leave as well, or an example that we could set. Well, this has been fantastic, Leah. Robbo, do you want to do a quick Nifty 90? I think we should do a Nifty 90. Robbo's Nifty 90. All right, so let's do a a downward dog Nifty 90, shall we? Go for it. All right, what's the best thing about running your own business? Freedom. What's your favourite treat? Frozen strawberries. Ooh. Or or blueberries. (laughs) Blueberries. I eat them. <laughs> nice straight up frozen. Yeah. Yum. <laughs> uh, if you could have a plane ticket to anywhere in the world, where would you go and why? Probably Bali. And because it's amazing and spiritual and gorgeous. And the surfing. Yeah, right. Lovely. Surfing. You're a surfer. Yep. Yeah, there's surfing on the West Coast, actually. I'm going to go on a surf trip, trip this weekend. Oh, God. Canada and surfing. It's not something you put together, is it, Gaz? No, uh, no, no, not at all. But we we have it. It's just cold. Yeah, I can imagine. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, what's one thing about practicing yoga that people may not know? That it's for everybody. What's your favorite time of the day? Midnight. Midnight. Like, I'm an, I'm a that? night owl. Are yeah, you? yeah, uh, yeah. It's when my creativity comes. Is at night. Oh, there you go. Uh, 
What's a movie that you've seen more than five times? Love Actually. <laughs> Are you softy? The best thing. Every Christmas. <laughs> What, what's the best thing about living in Canada besides the surfing, apparently? The clean air and the clean water and the mountains. Nice. Dogs or cats, what's your favourite? Cats. Okay, and if you, if you got up in the morning and your mojo wasn't quite cranking, you weren't ready to face the day, what would be the song that you would go to on your iPad or your home stereo or in the car or on the bus that would get you ready to face the day? Probably Can't Stop the Feeling by Justin Timberlake. I can see but you when you You should love that song. <laughs> I, and I love that question because I can't believe the variety of answers that we get. That's probably my favourite question of the show. So there you go. Nice. Justin Timberlake, another <laughs> new one, Gaz. Haven't done a bit another of Timberlake Huey. before. Well, you've survived the Nifty 90. You have indeed. Well done. Awesome. Well, thank you. Yeah, yeah. It was it wasn't too tough. Is your day complete? <laughs> is your day complete now? Yeah, yeah. My day is, is certainly complete. I'm uh, I'm just going to be looking forward to my little surf trip. I can't wait. Yeah. <laughs> well, Leah. Yeah, my surfboard hasn't hit the water in a while, so it's uh, it, it takes a while to get there. It's like about a, a four hour trip. Yeah. So <laughs> it's not so close, but yeah, it's it my my. Peace comes from connecting with nature and being there, being in the water. We are very, very appreciative of your time. There was loads of gold in them there, yoga stretches. Um, <laughs> thank you so much for your, for your sharing. I think the stuff you're doing, really, for anybody listening who's thinking about starting up their own business of any sort, and particularly those in business who really want to understand how to build a community or a tribe, build a business on purpose, you've just nailed it. It's just uh you know, this, the stuff you're doing is very, very cool. So thank you for your time. We appreciate it. Mm, indeed. Oh, yeah. Thank you, guys. And uh, I'm really excited to to listen to more of your episodes. I, when I looked at your listing, I was like, I need another thousand hours of my life to go through all of these. <laughs> so well, I appreciate what you guys do. There's, a, there's more than a thousand hours of our, our lives laid out in front of you. Yeah, exactly. So thank <laughs> you for what you do as well. Appreciate it. This is a test of the Mojo Broadcast System. The Mojo Radio Show. Two Canadians, two great episodes. Lauren, two great episodes. And Lee, absolutely. It's it's a double Canadian. It's a double Canadian gold. It's a Canadian double header. It's, go- it's, it's gold for Canada. It's double headed gold. Now I'm going to take you back. <laughs> Where are we going? Grit and resilience has been a theme, and coming up in October, which is only a matter of weeks away, mm. we are going to speak to a very, very recognised Navy SEAL leader who is going to talk to us on leadership. His name is Chris Fussell, and he served with a guy called Stan McChrystal, who is a legend in the Navy SEAL fraternity for his leadership. In setting up the interview and starting to think through and doing my research, it just it just took me back to an amazing story we had with a guy called Andrew Paul, who mm. was a Navy SEAL. This guy came back from service he got into mortgage broking. And when you hear that, you go, it's little wonder that he found himself in a very dark place. Sleeping on the floor of his house on a mattress with his two boys next to him, no furniture, and the house is being repossessed the next day or so. We talked about how he got out of that and the mindset of resilience and grit to where he is today as a veteran advocate, where his whole MO 
is finding veterans that he can help to get a mortgage and help them through the hardships of when you finished in the battleground, how do you reacclimate yourself back into the real world of society, particularly when one of those things is getting a mortgage. It was a great show, a special show, and I asked him about his boys today, and here's what he had to say. Boys especially need to hear from their father, I'm proud of you, son. I don't think that that, that could ever be overdone. I saw my entire life growing up in high school, college, even in the SEAL teams, a lot of young men and men who had, who had issues usually over confidence, uh, were, were guys who were, they were looking to prove something because they never got the approval from their father. And I think a father who, who, who confidently tells their son that, hey, no matter what happens, I love you, I love you no matter what, and I'm, and I'm proud of you. Now you're gonna finish this job, by the way, you ain't done, you're not going to bed right now, you're gonna stay up here and do this. Good job, proud of you, keep going. Um, is, I think that's teaching a kid um, that he's loved and it builds confidence. He's certainly, of the 150 odd shows we've done, he's certainly in my top 10, no doubt. Easily in my top 10. To take us out, I'm going to throw back to Sam Elliott. And the reason that I played the Andrew Paul clips, I thought the most important things you can say is I love you and I'm proud of you. And you hear so often with people who achieve or so many, so many people who are setting a dream, the why that sits underneath it is they want to make their parents proud. And my question is, if the parents aren't telling their children daily that they're proud of them, why why does a child have to wait to try and make them proud? If they, it seems like they don't know it. And I, and I think that's, that's an opportunity for us. And I don't think anything says it as well as Sam Elliott, who lost his dad before he became a famous actor, and his dad had always questioned whether he should become an actor. When we talk about the word proud, here's what Sam had to say. My dad died thinking I was a total idiot for wanting to be an actor. He said, you got a snowball's chance in hell of having a career in that town. You know, I'm doing what I wanted to do when I was a little kid. It's incredible. Lucky me. I could listen to him talk. Isn't that an amazing I would amazing get him voice. on the show. Just, I just ask, hello, Sam, and let him talk for an hour. <laughs> just give him That's, war and peace and say, Sam, just read this. <laughs> oh, man. I mean, Roadhouse is one of my favourite movies of all time, and I play it just to hear Wade Garrett. Yeah. Yeah, crazy, crazy, creamy voice, right? Awesome. So to play us out this week, there's only one song we can Did go to. Did you just to. say creamy voice? Creamy, yeah. Creamy. Creamy. Yeah, creamy is a I word you used to describe that's, a voice. You can't say, you're not going to say he's got a creamy voice on the Mojo radio show about Sam Elliott. That ain't cowboy. You're going to edit that. That's going to go. Well, no, mate. God, I don't know. 30 odd years in the industry, creamy's word I hear a lot when you're describing negative, a voice. It goes negative <laughs> attempt. All right. Anyway, play a song. Yeah, the, the, the song, there's only one song to play us out, and I'm sure you know where I'm going. It was originally written by. Cat Stevens, but there's a better version. It's probably the only song in the world that's got a better cover. It's got to be Ugly Kid Joe and Cats in the Cradle, right? Right. My child arrived just the other day Came to the world in a usual way But there are planes to catch and bills to pay He learned to walk while I was away He was talking for a minute and as he grew He said, I'm gonna be like you you know I'm gonna be like you And the cats in the cradle and the silver spoon Little boy blue and the man on the moon 
Produced and recorded in the studios of Voodoo Sound. For more tips and tools to get your mojo working, check us out on Facebook at the Mojo Radio Show or online at themojoradioshow.com. For more about Gary, see GaryBurtWhistle.com or to polish your next audio or video production, check out voodoosound.com.au. And for the right voice, realtimecasting.com. Andrew Peter speaking. See you next time. Cat Stevens, but there's a better version. It's probably the only song in the world that's got a better cover. It's got to be Ugly Kid Joe and Cats in the Cradle, right? Right.
Radio show is produced and recorded in the studios of Voodoo Sound. For more tips and tools to get your mojo working, check us out on Facebook at the Mojo Radio Show or online at themojoradioshow.com. For more about Gary, see GaryBurtWhistle.com or to polish your next audio or video production, check out VoodooSound.com.au and for the right voice, RealtimeCasting.com. Andrew Peters speaking. See you next time.